wonder if you've ever decided to give one of the rooms in your home a fresh coat of paint. Perhaps there's a damp spot or uh, something like that and you think, I'll freshen it up, I'll cover it over with a new paint. I remember at home, in our house at home, it wasn't just paint. We wallpapered, we even put on special stuff, but there was a particular area in one of the walls that was called a weeping stone. And no matter what was done, it looked all right for a short time, but then out came the problem again. It always showed up, and maybe to this day it still shows up, I'm not quite sure. But what was the solution? The only solution would be to eradicate, to actually take down, take out the weeping stone, to even begin, build the whole thing again. Because even a coat of paint, it may look well for a time, but if there's dampness coming from underneath, it is very hard to deal with. It's true in many walks of life. Unless we get to the root of the problem, then the problem will re occur. When we come to Noah, we come to a man who was a righteous man. Here he is as we come to chapter 9 and he is coming out of the ark with Shem, Ham and Japheth. These are the families that are to repopulate the earth. God has in many ways saved them to be a new creation. And the creation itself all having been under the flood, is, as it were, renewed. Noah was a righteous man in the sight of God. He was a holy man. His faith was in his God, and that is why he was counted as righteous. He had been brought into the ark as he struggled to build the ark And then as he entered in, he showed obedience to God and his faith shines quite brightly. The writer of the Hebrews reminds us that it was by faith that Noah lived in those things. And we remember that his character, even before the others in the world, before the flood, was that of a blameless man. In other words, even the people around us knew that this man was a blameless man. He was, with his family, a man who walked with God. His fellowship with the Lord was close. He communed with God. He obeyed. He served. So there's something quite shattering about coming to these verses at the end of chapter 9. Despite all his righteousness, here we find... Noah in sin. Falling into sin. And this account in these verses describes for us his sin. They describe how his sin was uncovered and then how his sin was covered and then the consequences of sin. And as we think about these things, we are led to see a bigger and wider picture. Here is Noah. He is a man by faith counted righteous. But he is a man who is still a man, still a sinner. And so Noah, found in sin, 
commits sin. He wasn't perfect. He was a man of faith and righteousness, but he wasn't perfect. The only way that God could have made the earth completely sin-free would have been to wipe away all mankind. He would have had to have taken and demo- taken Noah and his family off the earth as well. He would have had to have started again by creating a new Adam without sin. But that's not what God does. God rather saves Noah. And according to the promise already given to Adam and Eve, is going to raise up in the line of Noah the second Adam, the perfect man through whom sin would be dealt with. And this passage reminds us that that is needed because here we have Noah, a man of faith in his righteousness, a believer, and yet a man who falls into sin. He falls into sin because he is a man of the soil, as we read, or he works the ground. A very natural thing for the family to do once they come off the ark and are back onto soil. How are they going to live? Well, they needed to cultivate crops. They needed to grow things so that they could live. Of course, they had also food from the animals, but they also needed vegetables and other foods. And Noah grows this vineyard. And uh, as a man of the soil, obviously it took some time for the vine to grow. And so we're talking through years until not only does the vine grow, but the fruit is ripe. And then Noah takes it and makes wine. And Noah drunk too much of the wine. Drunk His sin is exposed because of his nakedness. In his drunken stupor, his nakedness speaks really of that, his sin. It shows that he is exposed in sin before God. Remember, when Adam and Eve sinned, they knew they were naked. There was something shameful about that. Their their whole sinful life was exposed to God. And the nakedness of Noah and his overindulgence is portrayed before God. And what we are taught here is that God had purged the whole earth of wickedness and of man in his sin. But in Noah, sin still remained. God was still going to need to bring a better way to deal with sin, to get rid of the root of sin, to cover sin over. Remember, man was created to give honor and glory and worship to God. Man was created that God might be exalted. But here's Adam, or here's Noah rather, falling into his sin. And yet God, through Noah, is going to bring about the Savior. What I want you to grasp here is that Noah was still a righteous man. He was still a man of faith. This one sin didn't destroy his 
whole life of, of faithfulness to God. It was wrong. It shouldn't have happened. But it is quoted to us in Scripture to teach us lessons about sin. And one of the lessons that we learn from Noah is this. That when we are in the heat of the battle, when we are up against it, we might find it easier to resist temptation. Our guard is up. We know that the enemy is near. And all those days when Noah was building the ark, I'm not saying he didn't sin, but we're not told of any sin. He was on his guard against the whole world against him as they would not listen to the words he spoke nor to the uh, demonstration of the truth that there was going to be a flood. It wasn't then that we're told he sinned. No, we're told that he sinned whenever the ark lands. There's nothing but to do but to relax and enjoy the new creation. Noah should have been able to rest at ease. It is in his ease, as it were, that he falls into the sin of self-indulgence. It's whenever his guard was down. It is also when he was a fairly aged man. It is whenever he is many years behind him. And friends, that is a lesson to you and me. You need to be vigilant. We need to be vigilant when we know the enemy Satan is against us, when we see the world opposed to us. We need to be vigilant about our words and our actions. But we need to be vigilant also whenever we're relaxing. How easy it is maybe in the office or the school or out wherever you are and work in the, in the, in the workplace and you know you need to be vigilant. You have to be an example of God's people to, to, to those people around you. You come home and you put your feet up and you can relax. But you need to be vigilant then because it is at that very moment that Satan is very liable to trip you up. That's what happened with Noah. The pressure, as it were, was off. There was no one else around him but his own family. And Satan caught him. Some might suggest that there is an excuse for Noah that he didn't know what fermented wine would do. But that doesn't stand up at all. Noah had lived in the old world. Noah knew the sin of men. Noah had seen drunkenness before. So his sin is very real. Friends, be vigilant. And as we go on in life, as you grow older in the Christian faith, yes, you have won many battles, but all of those battles can revisit you. And how vigilant we need to be, even when you're uh, many, many years as a believer, Satan can trip you up, make you fall into sin. So don't just say, well, I've lived for Christ 30, 40, 50 years, I'll be all right. No, you won't. Unless you're vigilant like Noah, you will fall. Secondly, as we think about these things, we want to look at how his sin is uncovered. I'm not I'm speaking here about how his son Ham dealt with him. And we're told of Ham's shameful behaviour. 
He comes and finds Noah naked in his tent. And what does he do? He shows no respect or regard for his father. He doesn't honor his father. As you read later on, we read in verse 25 of the curse upon Canaan. And the thought is that perhaps it wasn't Ham, but his son, his youngest son, Canaan, who actually pointed out to his father, Ham, his grandfather's nakedness. And that's how this will all fit together. But it is Ham who goes and tells his brothers of his father's sinful situation. He is the one who, as it were, uncovers his father's sin to the other two brothers. Our English versions do not convey the pleasure and the delight. They don't convey to us the means or the, the way in which Ham spoke of this. Our Kent Hughes in his commentary says it speaks to us of a sniggering delight in the spectacle of his aged father sprawled naked in his tent. And that captures something of Ham's disregard for his father and his uncovering, his speaking of this sin to his brothers. He took some delight in it. He was mocking this man who had for all his life been a man of faith and godliness. And now at this one opportunity, Ham is the man perhaps with his own son, Canaan, who is mocking Noah, his father. His sin is uncovered by Ham in a most godless way. In fact, we could say that as Ham uncovers the sin of Noah to his brothers, he really uncovers the guilt of his own heart. He is breaking what would later be the fifth commandment. He is showing no regard for the family relationship there was. He is laughing and mocking at someone whom he should have regarded. He is uncovering a sin which he ought to have covered over. We ought to have drawn a shroud around it as the other two do and we'll see in a moment. But not Ham. Not Canaan. This instance reminds us that all of our sin is uncovered before God. We may and we should sometimes cover over our fault to others and over the faults of others before others. But it is uncovered to God. We don't need a ham to come and broadcast our sins before God. He already knows them. And that brings us a problem. Because it brings us under the wrath of God. If we have made an error in judgment, if we have fallen foul in some way, we know God knows. But the pain of that is often multiplied whenever someone might speak of that to another person. How we break relationships with others if we see a fault and we publish it abroad. Friends, that is not how it should be for Christian people. If someone in your view has fallen, has made a mistake, or done something that is not right in your understanding, you're not to go and uncover it to everyone. 
If you have a problem with that person, then you are to take the procedure of Matthew 18. You are to go personally, point it out, sort it out, and hopefully be able to cover it over. Get forgiveness, repentance, and deal with it. If you publish it abroad, it only highlights your own sinfulness, your lack of concern, your lack of regard for that person, and your lack of love for them. When we see sin, it ought not to be to uncover it to all and sundry. It may be that you have a responsibility to go to that. Point out personally. Ask them. And perhaps get clarification. Perhaps what you have perceived as something wrong and sinful is nothing at all. And when you hear them speak about what happened or how it worked out, you will be able to say, well, now I understand. And there was no fault at all. And if you don't go and speak to them, you can blab all you like about them to other people and blacken the name And all the time, you're the one showing your own sinful heart just like Ham because you have not been prepared to go and cover over the sin or the fault or at least have it dealt with. Remember the scripture tells us that if you find your brother at fault and you go and bring him back to the Lord, you have won your brother. You have you'll be blessed because you are helping to cover over those sins. And so the palm tells us, warns us, shows us that we are not to uncover the sins of others before the world. Noah was still a righteous man. Yes, perhaps he needed to understand and maybe as he awoke with a sore head he would realize I failed my Lord. He certainly realized that in this instance because his sin had been uncovered by Ham. But he was still a man of faith. He would come back to God. He would find forgiveness with God and he would know the Lord's hand with him. So friends, the only way that you and I should be uncovering our sin is to come before God and cry out, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And if someone else has sinned against us, we should quietly speak to them rather than any other and say, Lord, help us to work this out. Help us to cover it over so that there is continued harmony and blessing and encouragement and respect and honor for one another. Ham uncovered the sin and he uncovered his own wicked heart. Wonders that happened to you? That what you've spoken about others has actually uncovered your own sinful heart rather than what you think you're doing. Thirdly, we want to think about the sin covered and it's quite clear that sin does need to be covered over. And these two brothers, Shem and Japheth, hearing their father's indignity and sin, act in a godly manner. They take steps to cover over their father's nakedness, to cover over his sin. 
They can't do away with the sin. It has happened, but they can at least take away some of the shame. And so they gather the cloak and together put it over their shoulders and they back into the tent, not looking at their father's shame, and they cover him over with the garment. The picture, the scene, is an amazing one that they go to that length to cover over their father. They don't want to look on a shame. Why? Because they honor their father. Quite unlike Ham, who dishonored him, they respect this father. He has shown them the way of God. He has led them in righteousness through him and his communion with God. They've been saved in the ark and they honor him and they want to glorify him in, in the honoring him. Hiding his shame. And so they illustrate for us the need for the covering over of sin. Not that we can truly cover over the sin of man, but there are times when we can cover over embarrassment, when we can help people, though they still have to go to the foot of the cross to Jesus Christ for forgiveness. We can help them not to find more shame in the world. Think of Adam and Eve. When they were found naked, what did they do? They covered themselves with fig leaves, a useless covering, but God made them skin to cover them. So Shem and Japheth cover their father. Friends, when your sin is uncovered before the face of God, it brings the wrath of God God cannot look upon sin. Sin is the very thing that he daren't turn his face to because if he does, he must punish it. He must deal with it. So we find the covering for our sin in Jesus Christ. That's the very thing that he came to do, to bear the very penalty, to cover you and me so that God would not look upon our shameful lives but rather on his Son who lived that perfect life for us. And we often speak of being clothed in the robes of Christ's righteousness. Well, this is exactly what it means. If you like to put, think of Shem and, and Japheth backing into the tent to cover Noah, so Christ on the cross has provided the, the robes of righteousness his whole life perfectly lived and he throws it over his people. He throws it over your sin, all your shameful decisions and your nakedness and he says, Father, look upon the robe of perfection. They are yours. They are mine. I have covered them. Is your sin covered? may not be covered to other people, but is it covered to God? That's what we long for. We don't want others to see our faults. That brings shame to us. We are annoyed when sin is exposed to men and women. Just think of your life. Imagine that it was projected on a great screen in front of the whole world and people were able to look and see up at the front, every misdemeanor, every sin, you'd be utterly ashamed. You don't want that sin to be 
uncovered in that way. Rather, you want to cover it over. Well, that's what happens with God. It is Without Christ, it is going to be projected on the great screen and he is going to see it and he is going to act against it and he is going to judge it and he is going to banish the sinner to everlasting destruction. But when you come under the cloaks of Christ, what is portrayed on the screen? Every good work of our Savior. Everything that he did was righteous. And hidden under that, you're there. And all your sins are blotted out. The robes of his righteousness. What a wonderful thing. Every little minor problem, every great fault, all blotted out, covered over by Jesus Christ. You see, Shem and Japheth knew sin needed to be covered, not exposed. They wanted to help their father. And that's what they did. Has your sin been covered by Jesus Christ? Have you truly trusted Him and the robes of His righteousness? And follow and serve Him. But then, third, <coughs> fourthly, we have <coughs> the consequences of this sin. Eventually, Noah awakens from his wine and he finds out what has happened. And we note the reference in verse 24 where his youngest son, and we need to read this with understanding, he refers to the youngest son. Now, Ham wasn't the youngest son. We always think of Shem, Ham and Jabbath. It's likely Ham was Noah's middle son. Who was the youngest son? It was Ham's youngest son. If you look forward into the next chapter, chapter 10, where we read of the table of the nations, we find there Ham's three sons, and or four sons, and the youngest of Ham's sons is Canaan. And so whenever we read in verse 24, Noah woke from his wife and found out what his youngest son had done to him. That's the way the Bible often speaks. It misses a generation. And it seems from this that it was Canaan who actually brought Ham's attention to his nakedness and Ham exposed it. But certainly Noah deals with Canaan. And look what happens as a result. Noah's words as a righteous, godly man, though he had fallen, come as the very word of God. Cursed be Canaan. The lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. That's what happens to the sinner. We become cursed. Sin does bring a curse. It brings the curse of death. We know that right back from Adam and Eve. God had warned them, you will surely die if you disobey the one command I give you. And they did die. Here they are. Where's Adam and Eve? They're dead. Where are all their descendants except for Noah? They're dead. The curse of sin is death. Death in the pit of eternal destruction. And that's what's going to happen. The descendants of Ham and of Canaan, they're cursed among people. On the other side, where the sin had been covered over, Look what he says. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Shem is a man of faith. 
May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend the territory of Japheth. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be his slave. There is blessing for those sinners who have sin covered over. Noah blesses them. And so what we see at this point are again the two seeds. We had Cain and Abel. And then we had Cain and Seth. The wicked seed, the righteous seed. And here we are after the flood with Noah's family. And we have the same two seeds. We have the wicked in Canaan and Ham who are under the curse and we have those who are under the blessing of God in Shem and Jabbath. And through that line, God is going to bring his Messiah, his Savior. And from here, the scripture continues to keep these two great things in view. The righteous and the unrighteous. Now sometimes there's mixture. Not all the unrighteous remained that way. Some became believers and became righteous. And not all those who, were of the, those who were blessed stayed. Some of them became utter sinners and became of the ungodly. But these two minds remain. And friends, it's the same today. There are only two categories of people in this world. There are those who are by faith in Jesus Christ honoring and worshipping God and there are those who are outside of Christ and haven't a clue and are on the broad road that leads to destruction. And it is the the place of those who love God to tell those who are without God of the consequences of their sin. You're lost. And we plead with them whether they be near in relations or a complete stranger Hear the message of the gospel. Come and believe. Otherwise, you're going to an everlasting destruction. And in our world today, we need to hammer that point home more firmly than we've been doing over the past while. There is a destruction for the sinner. The curse is upon them. Unless, by God's grace, they turn and believe. Consequences of sin are very clear in the very words of Noah. Cursed be Cain. Canaan. Cursed be Ham. But blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. And of Japheth. May his territory increase. And how was Japheth's territory going to increase? Because he would have eternal life. How is your territory increased? Because not only do we have good things in this world, but we know we have a life yet to come. Friends, you may fall into sin. We all do. Let us bow before God and repent and seek His face. It doesn't make us suddenly people who are worthless before God. If we really trust in Jesus Christ and we sin, we will return to him and we will walk his ways. Let us not be like Ham, however, and uncover the sins of others and therefore uncover the sin and wickedness of our own hearts. But let us be more like Shem and Japheth who covered their father's nakedness. Let us flee to Jesus Christ and be covered by him in his righteousness. 
so that we might reap the consequence of everlasting life rather than the curse that comes upon the sinner of everlasting death. The only way in which you and I can find peace with God and cover our sin is in Jesus.